Hi, everybody. We're thrilled to have Tony on the show today. Tony's mom is from Vietnam. She's the daughter of a Black American soldier who served in the war, but left after his tour was over. So she never really knew him. When Tony was growing up, his mom didn't talk much about her dad or that part of the family history. But Tony sensed the pain she felt at not knowing who her dad was. So as an adult, he decided to find his grandfather. Let's get into it. My name is Tony Ho Tran. I am from Sioux City, Iowa, but I live in Chicago now, and I work full-time as a writer. And when I was a kid, I would call my mom and dad, Matt and Bo. Both of my parents were immigrants from Vietnam. They had left after the Vietnam War as refugees, the both of them. My mom and I have always been pretty close. Um, but one thing that I, I remember that always kind of gave her pause while I was growing up was whenever I would come up to her and ask her about my grandfather and who he was. Uh, her father was actually an American soldier who served in the Vietnam War. We never knew his identity, so we didn't know his name or where he came from or even if he had family back in the United States. Being a kid, you know, you don't really pick up on sort of the weight of the certain questions you ask, you know, like, who was my grandfather? What did he look like? What was he like? Did you ever meet him? I realized way down the line that asking her those questions were kind of, it was very kind of painful and traumatic for her because she, you know, like me, she didn't know the answers either. She told me once that she had met him when she was like very, very little. She remembers vague details about him being tall, but not really anything else. And I remember this one instance of me walking into my mom crying when I was like very little, I must've been about seven or eight. You know, I asked her like, mom, what's wrong? And she just told me she was just thinking about her dad. I later talked to her about it and she told me that it was Father's Day. So it was just kind of a tough day for her. And I remember I kind of made myself like a, just a very silent promise just to myself and to my mother that I would eventually one day figure out who this guy was. I must have been in college when I first heard about a company like 23andMe that was offering these genetic testing kits that you could just order online. And I called my mom and I told her about it. She was very skeptical. I really had no clue what I was doing. I took to Google, did a lot of research on there. Uh, I ended up finding all these groups of people who are trying to connect with their father or their grandfather or their relative who served in the Vietnam War. I really gave myself like a crash course also in genetic genealogy, how to construct a family tree on Ancestry.com, how to go through census records. One of the most important things, obviously, was when the DNA testing kit results came back in and I was able to realize like, oh, on top of being Vietnamese, I was also black. A significant amount of my ancestors came from uh, West Africa. And on top of that, it, it wasn't just that. It was also the fact that, oh, you also have relatives you can connect to. There was a guy who shared the most genetic data with me that I've ever had. And I was like, holy crap. His name was Clifton, Clifton Brown. He was the half brother of my grandfather, Keith Brown. And he was like, yeah, uh, good to meet you, nephew. I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> like, that's wild. He said that like Keith died back in 2013. That sucked, but the important thing is that I found him. And on one of these, uh, an obituary website, uh, they included a picture of him. And I remember looking at his face and trying to think like, does he look like me? Like, do I look like him? Does he look like mom? It was the most surreal thing being able to see him for the first time. 
like, all right, now I got to tell mom. I was like, well, how do you tell mom? And I, I sat on it for a month, just nervous, just felt sick just about what I was going to do, how she was going to react. I knew she was going to cry and I don't want my mom to cry, but I, I knew it was going to happen. Um, I was also kind of worried that she would kind of reject it. Like, oh, whatever, I don't care. And I knew that wasn't going to happen, but still part of me was kind of afraid for it. Like, because what if like she tried to bury this deeper than I thought and she tried to completely reject the notion that that she cares about this, you know, as some sort of coping mechanism. I remember the day we finally told her it was her birthday and we'd had cake and then we did gifts. And I remember it was my turn to give her her gift and I gave her the picture frame and she was like, who is this? And I was like, that's him. That's your dad. And I remember she got really quiet for a second and she started crying. Then well, it started going for me as well. Like I started crying. Like it, it was everything I was afraid of, but in a good way. Like like she, she did have this huge emotional reaction and so did I. But we were able to sort of meet this moment together and come to the end of this journey together. I think if I live for another thousand years, I'll still be like one of the best things that we've ever done. Vietnamese people, sometimes they set up altars, especially if they're Buddhists, to their ancestors. Like they'll put up pictures of them and they'll put up fruits and stuff. My grandma's altar, when I came back, was this huge blown up picture of my grandfather. <laughs> I remember I smiled and we were like, oh, I like your new decoration. She was like, yeah, you did this. Like, like you, you did this. And... Um, so that's all to say, yeah, yeah, my relationship with my whole family has changed, I think. For many first gens, revisiting our family's past can feel like navigating a minefield. It's even trickier for first gens trying to find out what happened to relatives during a war or during a major conflict in our parents' home country. This is also true for first gens trying to fill a spotty family tree. Tony was trying to do both for his mom. And I was so, so moved by that. But Tony's story also made me think about how exactly do we have conversations that basically dredge up painful family histories? And how can we balance our curiosity, our need to know, our need to figure out who we are with also being respectful of our family's past and especially of their pain? To help us figure it out, I called in an expert. My name is Tin Pham. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm based in San Francisco. I am considered a 1.5 generation because I was born in Vietnam and I moved to San Jose when I was nine. So I grew up mostly American, but very much connected to my Vietnamese roots. And that's the population that I see. Same question I always ask, which is... What did you hear in Tony's testimonial? I hear so many similarities, not just with myself and my family, but just our whole community. So the community that I grew up in, San Jose, is just a huge Vietnamese population, mostly immigrants. I would say mostly refugees. And it's a very rich history of how we came to America and a lot of history that's not taught anywhere. It's just, it's a beautiful story of, I think, a very loving son, you know, who sees the pain that his parents went through, especially his mom, and wanting to sort of give her a little bit of peace. Oh, yeah, I was definitely choking back tears. Definitely. But let's pull back a little bit more because Vietnam, principally because of the war, but because of other reasons, and the U.S. have a really intermixed 
literal genetic history. So can you please give us just a little bit of context so we can understand how it is that Tony's mom's story and his own story are part, very much part of American hegemonic and colonialistic, you know, and imperialistic tendencies around the world. And it's not the first time this happened around the world. I mean, this is no. something that happens every time after a wartime so what had happened with, with Vietnam, I'll give you a really brief history, is that, you know, from between, I think, 1962 to 1975, American troops came over for the war. During that time, there were about, I think, 25,000 to 30,000 what we call Vietnamese Amerasians, which are children of Vietnamese women and American soldiers. Uh, and these are sort of like half white, half black kids that often don't know who their dads are because the men would come do their tour and then leave. And a lot of them were sort of just, I think, super oppressed by the community because there was not a lot of openness to children of different races at the time. So that's the generation that Tony's mom comes from. Yes, that's Tony's mom's generation. And I think his generation here is a very different experience, but very much a product of that. I'm going to throw out a couple of terms um, in my pseudo-social scientist hat because I have not only read but also studied the sort of like the aftermath of some of the American interventions because there were some in Dominican Republic and there were many throughout Latin America. So one of the, the things that, that comes to mind is erasure. And you just talked about that, like how these mixed race children were ostracized and essentially erased but then the other part of that is also there's this no man's land that gets created for these children because many of them were not claimed by their American fathers. And so they can't show up to the embassy and say, hey, give me my blue passport. In your practice, how have these historical consequences shown up generationally? So what, what you're talking about is intergenerational trauma. So at this point in time, I'm seeing children of the Amerasians right. or just Vietnamese refugees in general. And so by the time they have children, these parents have endured, I would say, 30 plus years of war trauma. And what it brings to us now is a lot of untreated PTSD and depression and anxiety. I want to say I've never met a client of mine who's not dealt with that personally or in their own family. Wow. Right? Like, I don't think anyone has escaped it. So now let's talk about how that all of that gets passed down to Tony's generation. And let's talk about what he chose to do with it. Yeah. Because he made choices about what to do right. with both, both the absence and the very little information that he had. Mm -hmm. What I find so inspiring about Tony's story is that I can see and I can feel the love that he has for his mom, which I think is a product of maybe his own work coming to a place of, I think, deep understanding and forgiveness that his parents did the best that they could having to rebuild from nothing. And that sometimes puts you in a situation of a lot of turmoil and could sometimes be very chaotic for the child. And I think at some point, Tony realized that like, you know, it is what it is. And I want to be able to sort of give tenderness, love, and also peace to my mother so that she can no longer suffer. But not everybody's story is like that, you know? And I can attest to that, seeing so many of my clients who 
still to this day struggle with uh, interracial trauma. So when I heard his testimony for the first time, the image that came to me was of him blindfolded in this area where there are just like DNA strands everywhere and him kind of like touching his way through the strands and trying to figure out which one would like give him a spark or give him some sensation to say, yeah, claim me. This is, this is who you are. And then that moment of, oh my God, there's a match. What happens when someone quite literally opens a door that cannot be closed like that? I think that's what identity is about, finding identity. For him, I think that was the first moment where he's like, I can finally see that there's this piece of evidence that tells me who I am, where I came from, when things have been in limbo for so long and, and so much so for his mother as well. I think 23andMe actually probably did that for a lot of people in the past decade. There's a lot of risk. This is the other question that I want to pose to you. Treading into your family past is risky. As someone who talks intergenerationally to people, what advice do you have for both the parental figure and also the curious, knowledge-seeking, hyphenated daughter-son who might want to venture into these murky waters? It feels like opening Pandora's box. Uh, that's what a, a DNA test feels like to me. I've never taken one, but that's what I imagine. And I think it's important if this is something that you're interested in, this is something that you're going to pursue to really be not hypervigilant, but be prepared for some difficult emotions. Be prepared for the potential of nothingness, which is common. Like, you know, you waited, I don't know how long, like 30 days or 60 days for this. And you're like in anticipation, you're anxious, you know, you're overwhelmed. And then you get nothing, which is a huge disappointment in itself. The possibilities are so varied that I think it's, it's a good skill to build during the process to sort of learn how to regulate your body and regulate your mind so that whatever happens when you open up that email or this app, whatever, whatever you see, that you can actually receive it. And have no expectations, right? right, right. Don't have a scripted idea of I'm going to say this and she's going to say that. Yeah. That's sometimes the most disappointing is when you're able to find somebody that you're related to, even a parent figure. But then to be okay with the relationship potentially not working out. Be okay with this just one meeting and that's it. And I'm actually working with the client through that right now. And it's, it's so heartbreaking to be able to sit with the conflicting emotions of, this is so exciting. I've been waiting my whole life for this. And this could be difficult. This could be not long lasting. So what does someone like Tony now do with this information? I'm imagining for Tony that the conversation is now going to be more open, right? Now that the picture of grandpa is on the altar, I'm wondering if Tony would be open to them continuing the conversation. Hey, mom, do you remember so-and-so way back when, when you were little? Yeah. Right? This is where those, I think, golden nuggets come out. And this is very common in Vietnamese culture of storytelling. And like when the moment's right, like when you're doing something and you're reminded of, oh, yeah, I did this when I was little. And when I was little, so-and-so taught me how to do this. 
I'm going to ask you a couple questions about parental privacy, right? Like stuff that mom and dad don't want to share with you and it's none of your business. Stuff that you accidentally learn about and then you demand more explanation, more information, more context. And so when you are dealing with intergenerational trauma, as you do in your practice, what are some of your guidelines around parental privacy? You have to approach it with so much care and sensitivity because because of the potential trauma and complex trauma operates a little bit differently. It's trauma that is not just a one-time event. Intergenerationally, that's often the case. It's not just one event. It's multiple variables happening together. How do you approach parents who may feel protective, right, of one, their feelings, which I'm sure happens, Mm -hmm. and two, of the information that they know, whether they want to share it with you, whether they want to talk about it at all. My advice for that is you have to first build trust, like any relationship, even if it's your parents, you have to let them know that like, you're curious for your own, out of your own care and wanting support. And it's okay if you don't want to tell me everything. It's okay if you tell me stories and pieces, but we don't ever really push people who have been through trauma to share their story if they're not ready, because doing so would re-traumatize them. It would actually bring them back to the moment that they were traumatized, and that's not good for anybody. I'm going to just say very bluntly, what you perceive as your right to know is secondary to their right to protect themselves and their feelings. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think proceed with caution and tenderness is the best way. Any other words of advice for folks in Tony's shoes who might be considering a DNA test or a family genealogy or some way to fill a gap that they feel they have in their family history? You know, I would encourage people to really talk to their parents. It's something that a lot of us struggle with just because of the generation gap and sometimes the language gap, but you'll find so much more information once the parents see that you're curious. It's almost like you kind of have to ask in order to know because they're not just going to give you the information. Our culture doesn't necessarily share hurtful pain with, you know, younger generations. Um, And so it's like, yeah, if you're going to pursue the DNA path, also pursue the, the conversational path. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is such an amazing thing to find out about your podcast. Oh, thank you. Please share it. We love it when our friends share us and then their friends want to come on the show and then we just keep making friends. Okay, here's what we learned from Tin. Anticipate uncertainty. When trying to learn about your family's past, be aware you may not get the answers you want. In fact, you may not get any answers at all. And even if you do get answers, things might not work out the way you thought they would. So be prepared to sit with difficult emotions and difficult information. Don't push. Be sensitive to your parents' traumatic experiences and respect their desire to protect themselves and their feelings. And remember, express your curiosity cautiously. Your family may not readily volunteer painful information, but if you ask with care and genuine interest, they may open up 
if and when they're ready. Thank you for listening and sharing us. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of LWC Studios. Virginia Lora is our show's producer. Kojin Tashiro is our mixer. Elizabeth Nakano mixed this episode. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. And Juleka Lantigua is the creator and host. I'm senior editor Monica Lopez. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>